Mac Power Users, episode 485, WWDC 2019, an interview with Doug Brooks, product manager for the all-new Mac Pro. Welcome to the Mac Power Users. I'm David Sparks, and joined by my co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hey, Stephen. Hey, David. How are you? Good. We've got a lot to cover here at WWDC, but before we do anything... We want to share an interview we did with uh, Doug Brooks over from Apple. He's the product manager for the Mac Pro, and he gave us a little bit of time to talk about the new machine. Okay, Stephen, we're, we're the real deal now. We're sitting at Apple, and we're joined by Doug Brooks, product manager for the all-new Mac Pro. Welcome to the show, Doug. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, I guess first I just wanted to say congratulations. Uh, it's a real impressive new Mac you've built there. Thank you very much. We're so thrilled to, to be able to, to share it with everyone uh, here at WWDC and can't wait to get it in the hands of our customers uh, a little later this year. Well, Doug, before we get started, I thought it'd be fun just to uh, share a little bit about yourself and your background and and uh, how you got involved with the Mac Pro. Yeah, I'm a senior product manager uh, on the Mac team, have been with Apple over 20 years, um, have been in product marketing across a lot of different products. But, um, you know, for the last uh, few years, been working on uh, Mac Pro and iMac Pro and the kind of the pro desktop space. Had a lot of fun um, getting these products uh, uh, out to our, our pro customers. The, uh, you know, Mac Power users always ask this question. I got to ask you. Yeah. What was your first Mac? My first Mac. Depends how you count it. But I, I consider the first Mac I owned was a Mac 2 uh, CX. All right. Um, it was the computer I took to college and got me through uh, uh, all four years. And, uh, you know, it was amazing to have a, a powerful modular Mac back then. So it's something I uh, <laughs> remember very fondly. Um, Can we just talk about the Mac 2 for the rest of the time? <laughs> yeah, man, let's do it. <laughs> 2FX. 2FX. You absolutely. knew we were going to talk modular today, but, you know, you didn't realize it was going to be the Mac 2. I'm always prepared to talk about old computers just at any moment. Um, I think we'd spend way too long in that space. Probably. So in 2018, y'all shared news of the Pro Workflow team. Yes. Which is a group within Apple seemingly dedicated to solving problems that power users have and and building products for those types of users. Uh, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how that team works. Are they going out and uh, talking to pro users? Like what's that? What's that sort of process like? Yeah, a little bit of everything. Um, let's see where to start. I, I think the, that team's really um, a deep investment on on what we're doing here in, in the pro space, and it it goes well beyond just Mac Pro to um, you know MacBook Pro and uh, even iPad Pro. So you're going to see the the benefits and the the uh, implications of that team across all of our Mac Mac products and our, our pro products. Um, the teams really consists of, uh, you know, they're in our hardware engineering group, and the team really consists of, of kind of two kinds of, uh, of people, um, you know, artists and creatives who came out of the industry in the video, audio, 3D uh, space as, as examples. Um, and, you know, they were creative professionals who brought their talents inside. And um, system architecture people who they can be coupled with and who are deep computer scientists who can look at performance and system traces and architectural details of what it takes to achieve, um, uh, you know, a a given task in in the pro workflow. And, you know, the insight kind of comes from this. I've I've worked with we have amazing customers in the pro space who give us lots of feedback, uh, the the good, bad and uglies of, of things. 
Um, and the challenge is customers in production environments. And so you can't say, hey, I see what you're seeing. Pause. We're just going to stop what you're doing and go analyze that for a couple of days. Right. Like imagine, you know, yeah. Uh, and they're like, no, I'm on deadline. Thank you very much. Can um, I put a camera over your shoulder just for a week? Yeah, no, really. It's not a problem. Exactly. <laughs> While you're making an avatar. And, exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, customers are phenomenal about the feedback and the issues and, and they're very vocal. And we really do appreciate that. The challenge is it's, it's really hard to get actionable data that we can feed right into engineering and fix things, make things faster, make things better. Um, and so the beauty of this is we have in-house people who are craftsmen in their own fields. A great example in the video space, they went out and did a whole 8K shoot that they owned end-to-end. They you know, could, could produce that end-to-end, but bring all those learnings in-house and analyze every step of the workflow um, and pair with those system architects and you say, hey, that's slow. We got the people who then can tell you exactly why that's slow and what needs to be fixed, whether it's hardware, software, operating system, drivers, third-party software, and the results have been phenomenal. And so it's just really exciting to have bring those resources to bear, and that has huge implications on what we're being able to show and what we're able to deliver with Mac Pro and also very excited what that's going to mean for the entire pro product line at Apple. When I, when I first heard of the idea, it's like one of those things where you smack your forehead and said, of course, why mm-hmm. wouldn't you have your own laboratory to look at this? Exactly. And you said this is extending down to the iPad Pro as well. Sure. So you're looking at how you can extend it to basically all the hardware. Yeah, this is, this is let, me, let me be clear, this is a, a huge commitment we're making uh, in the pro space for all of our Apple products. Um, and, uh, for example, we have a, a guy on the team um, who's very hot in virtual production and, you know, an iPad on set. And what that could mean um, is, uh, is uh, really possibly transformational and, and really looking at applications in those spaces. So it, it's going to benefit all of our pro products, but um, most immediately really excited about what it means for Mac Pro and, and the performance we're able to deliver and really look beyond just speeds and feeds. Um, one of my favorite examples is in an application. Imagine, imagine a dialog box that you have to acknowledge 100 times a day. And if that dialog comes up just a little slowly or doesn't, isn't immediately responsive, you know, that's going to drive you absolutely insane. Right. Right. So it doesn't matter how fast your render or your export or whatever it takes. If you have to acknowledge this dialog box 100 times a day <laughs> and it, it adds three seconds every time, that's just wasted time. Um, and so to be able to dive into every aspect of the workflow and understand what are the performance criteria. And it's surprisingly, it's, it's not always, you know, the answer is um, not always, you know, bigger, better, faster hardware. It's often under the hood stuff. The user interface is important in this Absolutely. as well. Responsiveness, interactivity, latency. Uh, all those things are huge factors to uh, what a pro does every single day. Yeah, it sounds like you're really unwilling to leave any rock unturned. Absolutely. seeing how these people work and what they need. We've also been blown away the the interactions and the support with the third-party partners. You know, what we've been able to do with working very closely with various um, third-party engineering teams uh, has been, been phenomenal. So, you know, it's been a really transformative aspect and really excited to see what the, that's going to deliver. Ideally, it creates this feedback loop for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, in addition to making the user interface faster, though, you guys also made new Macs. We did. You certainly did. Uh, <laughs> it, as, as Mac nerds, it was an exciting keynote to watch because it's, it's such a, an important machine, not only for the people who make their livelihoods on it, but I think those of us who are 
enthusiasts who maybe don't need that hardware, it's exciting to have something to aspire to. You know, it's like the the Halo car idea John Syracuse has talked about. Like, I may never drive that beautiful, you know, supercar with its butterfly doors, but boy, am I glad it exists. Um, Can we talk a little bit about maybe some of the needs the Mac Pro was designed to solve? You have other powerful products. I'm I'm sitting in front of an eight-core MacBook Pro that I can't believe exists. Yeah. But the Mac Pro seems to go... Uh, above that and beyond that, and what were some of those workflows, some of those projects you had in mind while, while designing this hardware? Yeah, lo- lots of great examples there. Part of having that, that workflow um, team is to be able to bring in real-world workflows, and one of their goals was to either bring in-house or create content that pushed, uh, pushed a Mac uh, beyond the limits of possible today. Um, you know, we, we, we had a joke for a while in the early days of the project is we love unhappy customers because we want to find <laughs> those things that we, we can't solve today, right? A product like this, it's really important we look to the future. We, we don't want to build for today. We want to build for the future. Um, so when we look at things like 8K workflows, that's not the norm today. There's sure. definitely people doing it at the high end. Um, but we want to make sure we're ready for and have the performance throughout the system to be able to deliver on that. Another great example, you know, people... Um, often don't think of as audio workflows being terribly demanding, but at the high end, um, you know, we've got, you know, examples are like film composers. When you mm-hmm. look at the scores of these these movies, you know, huge orchestral pieces behind behind the, the film, um, the, the composition workflow and the mixing workflow um, often required multiple computers right. uh, networked together to solve all that. So we wanted to solve and bring simplicity and performance to the, the system to be able to tackle that with a single system that we're able to do before. Uh, another example is in the 3D, uh, 3D world where you want to be able to have multiple GPUs and the real-time render performance, um, not just for final rendering, but for the uh, high-quality previews and interactivity to get your textures and your lighting and your, um, your models and animation correct. So... Um, you know, again, really looking to see where we can um, solve the highest of the highest end problems and have that uh, performance trickle down across the line. I think that that desire is clear in the design of the machine. I would have, if we could talk a little bit about the the cooling in particular. Yeah, it's a very unusual looking machine. It's very striking. And in watching the videos and talking to people this week, that was very purposeful to move air through it. And I know that was something that. Back in the cheese grater days, that that I remember that keynote and the announcement of it has nine fans. It's like, wait, wait, like we can make it really quiet because we move all this air through it. And what is, is is that sort of the idea behind the design today? Yeah, I think the 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 design of the new Mac Pro started actually kind of fundamentally with the space frame. We really wanted to bring modularity to the very fundamentals of the system, and so in a way, the space frame is this open canvas um, for us to be able to bring all sorts of different modules and technologies into the system. And so everything hangs off of that. The other big concept of the thermal system is a great example. You're right, the past Mac Pro uh, tower had, 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 had nine fans. Um, we wanted to uh, kind of simplify and make the thermal system a lot more elegant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a what we call a, a um, low-impedance airflow system. So... Um, if you look through the heatsink, and you can actually see this on our webpage, of, of the GPU is just an example. The CPU has the same thing. The, the, the fin spacing is pretty wide. It's, it's, we're able to move a lot of air through the system, get a lot of uh, heat exchange. Um, with these big fans, they tend to move a little slower so that they don't create a lot of noise. 
but can move quite a bit of air through the system to cool the system very effectively. Um, this is a system we wanted to provide plenty of headroom, right? So we overpowered, you know, we put more power into the processor than needed. We wanted to make sure it had plenty of headroom, could run completely unconstrained, um, give the GPUs plenty of power so that we uh, can uh, go beyond the normal graphics card and move plenty of air through the system to cool the system. And we're able to do that, you know, very quietly. Um, we've measured the system when it's on the floor next to your desk at 10 decibels. It's actually quieter than an iMac Pro oh. or a current Mac Pro uh, cylinder on your desk, which are around 12. Is it, 12 is, an, is still virtually silent. As an iMac Pro user, I'm impressed because yeah. that machine, even under load, is so quiet, which is why I use it as a podcaster. Yeah. That, that's great news because so many of these workflows, that's such a, a sensitive issue. Yeah. So, uh, you know, these things need to live in in music studios and 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 production bays and you don't want this thing under even under load you know with these big whiny fans and right. so acoustics is something we've always been very proud of in all of our designs and you know we didn't kind of wave and just say that's not important in a workstation right, right? <laughs> so uh you know we wanted mac pro to to deliver what you'd expect from apple there the expansion story is is really interesting on the mac pro you know from the outside we were all wondering are they going to make it where it's like a modular system it's going to be apple specific components or is it going to be wide open and you guys did something that's both <laughs> so I, I didn't see that coming yeah so how did you get to that uh, it's, it's funny because uh I, you know from uh the things we've said over the past i don't know two years i feel we've telegraphed the machine very very clearly it's going to be a modular system i mean like wink wink come on and some of the rumors and, and things like were were both amusing and concerning that people thought. <laughs> I mean, fair enough. But we're, so we're so thrilled. I mean, yeah, with this system, modularity and expansion um, was was a critical component. We we heard that loud and clear from our pro customers. We wanted this machine to serve a huge. I call it dynamic range. A huge dynamic range of our pro customers from. Um, you know, someone who just wants a modular machine so they can pick their display and um, and and have uh, you know maybe they're uh, in design and, and, and photography and things and have very specific needs. It's very different from what say uh, uh, an audio professional in a mixing bay needs versus someone who's say a colorist doing an 8K color grade. The, the the needs of those machines are very different, and so to give it enough configuration expansion to meet this huge dynamic range was really important. And, you know, we still hear how much people love the old Mac Pro Tower mm -hmm. and the, the bays and the flexibilities that it provided and the slots. And so we wanted to deliver on that and go well beyond it. So, uh, yeah, eight expansion slots, uh, industry standard, um, lots of room for expansion. You know, customers uh, and developers like Avid with uh, Pro Tools now being able to support six HDX cards inside the machine. They're certifying that for us. Um, to bring new levels of capability is super exciting. Um, being able to put four GPUs through these new MPX modules that we created for the system, but also being able to support off-the-shelf GPUs with auxiliary power connectors on the inside of the machine. It, it just lots of degrees of freedom, and I think that was really important. Um, and I also like to talk about configurability, not just at time of order, but over time, right? right. So a year later... You know, 12 DIMM slots, yeah, it gets us to one and a half terabyte. Um, absolutely amazing to see Mac OS and about this Mac show one and a half terabytes. Oh, That's a lot of fun. Um, but I think for more most users, what's really important is that, you know, when you order the machine, you get whatever memory you get. 
if a year later you need more, you can just pure mm-hmm. add um, and have the expansion to put more more dims in. Right. And so, or even on the GPU side, as this, yeah. as that continues to evolve, the car that sort of grabbed my attention was Afterburner. So hand, handing off a lot of ProRes video to that card. That may not be part of your workflow today when you buy it, but down the road you could order that, put it in, and suddenly you have a, a radically different machine in terms of performance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I think the other thing, you know, maybe not completely obvious from our uh, you know, web pages that we launched today, but a lot of these items we're selling as kits separately. So if you want to add that second GP, you want to add Afterburner, um, nothing special. You just order it off, off, off the website, shows up, pop it in yourself, and off you go. So uh, strong commitment to have, have those be available for people. Afterburner is a good example of something that's interesting about this device where the prior Mac Pro was very good for video production. But this one seems like the, the gates are really open. You know, we talked earlier about music production. Um, I talked to some folks. Um, we've had people on the show that do music production, and I do understand the real taxing demands that you have with the um, with that type of work. But that's something that not necessarily was covered with the prior Mac Pro. And it seems like with this whole device, you've got different workflows in mind with the device. Like you buy the Mac Pro, and depending on what you, whether your video production, your music production, your animation, there's different builds and. And this afterburner card is something that takes a standard config and makes it feel like a much faster config for a specific job. Absolutely. Um, what were the kinds of jobs you were thinking about solving when you had this thing on the whiteboard? <laughs> Yesterday, I went through your uh, your preview center, which I think I broke the rules. I stayed there like two and a half hours because it was fascinating, <laughs> all the people working. But there was, um, you know, there was a station where they had a photography set up. And that really features this new monitor, which we'll talk about in a minute. But it's like, it was amazing the way they had set it up. Or you've got the music workstation where they're scoring a film. Um, I saw the entire set for the next Toy Story movie yeah. on, on one Mac. Yeah, is that amazing? Yeah, and the, the former Pixar guy there yeah. was talking about how that's not something that normally happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so it's like, I, I know that, so I guess getting to the question of who is this for, Yeah, it seems like one of the things you did is you tried to make it configurable to certain, you know, workflows. Absolutely, yeah. Again, I think we really pushed ourselves to make sure we could build a system that solved the most demanding needs of our customers. So, you know, and, and, and as broad brush as possible. So, you know, obviously the most demanding needs in video, um, people are doing, doing 8k or multi-stream 4k, um, you know, 3d, um, um, audio, uh, for sure. Audio production. Um, but we also look at things like developers and, and, uh, photography and um, a lot of other workflows, you know, basically anyone who needs to push the Mac beyond what our current product line does, you know, the Mac pro is the machine to solve that, that, that those highest end needs. Um, and, and we do look at it as a, as a continuum. Um, and so um, we want to make sure the learnings can benefit MacBook pro and iMac pro uh, as well as, as, as the Mac pro, of course. So um you know, to have, have a range of products to, to address these, these, these customer needs. But again, to your point, Mac Pro, because it can be configured in so many ways, has that, that, that configurability and customization ability beyond anything that we, we, we have today. Um, and Afterburner is a great example. Um, Afterburner kind of came out of the inspiration, um, again, from our Pro Workflow team, is, is 
the goals to kind of kill the proxy workflow. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very common in video production, especially if you're shooting with high end, high end, high frame rate, high data rate cameras. You're you're generating a tremendous amount of, of data uh, on the camera native formats. It's very often to run that through a proxy generation process, which takes a lot more time, a lot more processing power, a lot more storage to duplicate things. Um, and then you go cut it, cut your film, cut your project with the, the proxies, and then you've got to match back to the originals. And uh, that's a, a kind of cumbersome process. Um, some risks of not matching back to the files, depending on your, on your workflow. And it's just a lot of extra steps that shouldn't be needed. Why can't I just... You know, it'd be like telling a photographer you got to come out and then convert every image and then deal with it, right? Right. Um, why? Why should you have to, you know, generate proxies and edit that and deal with it later? Why can't I just put, you know, the files right off the camera card, throw it into the timeline, and start going? So that was kind of the inspiration behind it, and that coupled with the fact that, you know, ProRes is our codec. Um, why? Why not put it in hardware? And and so the afterburner card was was created to greatly accelerate and offload uh, ProRes and ProRes RAW, all the formats of it. And it was created to uh, offload ProRes and ProRes RAW codecs. And um, that gives our users a couple different things. First of all, we think it's going to be a must-have for anyone in a, in a video production role, um, nonlinear editing role, because um, it's just amazing what it can do. And from a system perspective, it lets you decide a couple different things. You can bring it in and um, re- greatly reduce the CPU core count you might need um, from a, a price performance perspective for you know uh, people uh, in, in those workflows. On the other hand, at the high end, it frees up those processor cores and those GPUs to really focus on the creative effects and capabilities that your uh, application can deliver. Um, and so makes your system much more responsive and uh, really pushes the system up into the high end. I mean, to be able to do three streams of 8K in real time with color and effects um, and Final Cut that we showed in the keynote, absolutely amazing. Um, what's really great is this card plugs into the operating system, and so if you call our APIs for uh, ProRes Decode, um, you know, any application that does that can take advantage of it. So it's not just Final Cut. It's, it's a DaVinci Resolve is going to take advantage of it, and Adobe Premiere, um, on and on and on. I mean, even QuickTime Player will, will in, in, in your system will take advantage of it. So absolutely amazing. These are kind of things at the system level we really look to provide. And, you know, again, take a step back and look at this as a whole system um, um, and uh, be able to accelerate a workflow like that is really, really exciting. So can't wait to uh, to uh, see what customers can do with this thing. And I would assume that multi-platform or multi-application support, so the editor out there who's using Premiere and not Final Cut, yeah. did that filter up through that pro workflow team that, hey, we have users maybe not solely on Apple solutions, but we want to meet their needs as well? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, we look at this as an ecosystem, right? We, we can't... can't uh, a powerful computer without amazing ecosystem partners just doesn't doesn't solve a customer's need, right? Right. And so, you know, uh, being able to work very closely with uh, partners like Adobe, like Blackmagic, um, like Avid, have been phenomenal. Um, and super excited about you know the releases that they're all working on, and we'll see later this year and what the system's going to be able to do. Um, you know, in the in the in the hands-on area here at the show. 
um, you know, we're showing a system with those six HDX cards in the system, something never, never before done, um, you know, playing this massive, massive soundtrack. Um, uh, DaVinci Resolve uh, with an afterburner in that system um, is doing amazing real-time 8K uh, with effects. Um, and um, uh, really excited about Premiere, uh, the next version of Premiere that's going to be able to take advantage of all this hardware. Uh, I'm convinced it's going to be the fastest version of Premiere that uh, has shipped. So can't can't wait to get this this technology, um, but both the hardware and then the software from all these ecosystem partners um, in the hands of our customers are going to be blown away by what it can do. As one of the uh, product leads on this product, at some point during the process, you had to have it on your desk and say, I have the fastest Mac in the world <laughs> on my desk, right? Yeah. I mean, come on, all of us are nerds, right? Absolutely. So what did you do with it when you sat it on your desk? <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, so unfortunately, I can't put it on my desk. Um, <laughs> Apple Park's kind of a big windowed building. Um, yeah. But... Uh, um, it can't wait after the show, maybe can after, uh, after now that it's out, maybe. Um, but yeah, we, 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 we get, 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 get early units in the lab and, um, really want to put it through its, through its paces. And, um, um, you know, we have, we have what we call stealth enclosures, so they don't look like the real thing. Um, so they look like these, uh, these kind of metal boxes and it's just <laughs> really exciting being a hardware geek, just, you know, to be able to see all, all the slots and all the dim slots sure, and, yeah. And, you know, pop things in and out is just really, really exciting. Um, I like that you're having those conversations. Yeah. And then someone went to the whiteboard and wrote wheels with a question mark after it. <laughs> exactly. You made the first Mac with wheels on it. There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> Check that one off the to-do list. It's not just a race car. It has wheels. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's funny. That kind of came organically. Uh, I can't remember exactly when wheels came into the picture but it kind of grew organically you know this thing um you know kind of a tower form factor it had these gorgeous handles um which not only are a design element they really are functional um and anyone who's picked up a a, a, a g5 or yep. an old power mac will really love the handles they feel great in your hands um no sharp be- edges no sharp edges <laughs> Um, it goes all the way through the frame. So you're not picking up like handles bolted onto the system. This is right. literally picking up the, the core superstructure of the system. So moving this thing around, it just it feels really good and easy to pick up and move around. But obviously, one of the visions was this thing most likely was going to be on the next to your desk on the floor somewhere down there. So it's got feet to get it off the ground and make sure it has great airflow. And it looks really cool, too. And obviously, you know, you, you re- realize you have this thing next to you and there's a handle there. It's perfect to just grab. And God, what if I just wanted to slide it out a little right. bit to get access to the top ports or spin it around for the back? Um, and the feet have uh, have material on the bottom. It's really easy to slide around. But, you know, obviously there's like, oh, my God, what if this thing had wheels? And it's great. <laughs> really great to pull out from under your desk and get access to it. And then you're like, yeah, well, imagine if it was in a studio and you wanted to slide it from station to station or, you know, just the realities of production. Like, I need Mm -hmm. the system here. Um, You know, people do take these things out on the road. We have, you know, customers with DIT carts and rolling these things on and off the back of trucks. Um, Maybe it's going to be mounted on a rack. Maybe it's not. Um, And, uh, you know, it's a whole little side story here. I mean, we actually had a a team um, put um, uh, 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 motion sensors or, or, or G sensors to, to understand the shock and vibe of what uh, someone on a film production uh, is going to do rolling this thing off a truck 
out into the you oh, know, yeah. on-set site. You know, how much shock and vibe is this thing going to have? How much is it going to, you know, because it's not in its packaging. Like we do, we've, all right. of our products go through rigorous packaging testing. But we, we were really obsessed with like, you know, what's this thing going to do? Get drug across the desert on a film yeah. shoot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, these aren't pristine. You know, when you think about the rack, um, you know, this isn't likely going to go into a pristine data center that's certainly an environment but like if this thing's bolted on the back of a dit cart it's going to see a lot of shake rattle mm-hmm. and roll and so make sure it can survive the realities of those productions so um and wheels was, was another thing just to be able to get it around yeah. so we thought that was just a really cool item and and uh able to deliver on it. it's just really awesome on the surface of it it doesn't seem like a big deal but to me what it signifies is that the team thought through all of those eventualities because i'm sure that customers you hear from customers who are doing things with products that no one ever you know like yeah just wild things and it seems like y'all were willing and took the time to go down all of those roads like what would it look like if this happens and it, to me it, it stands out as just a, a shining example of all those eventualities were thought through yeah one of my favorites is yeah i've heard a bunch of people asking is there a usba port on the inside of the machine what's that for um and that again came out of the pro software ecosystem you know a lot of this high-end software um, has iLock, has, right. has, has uh, license dongles. Um, and, uh, you know, we've heard this from a lot of our pro customers and also our education customers who, you know, God, I'd really like to put that on the inside of the machine and have it securely there. Matter of fact, our stage demo, um, you know, had some virtual instruments that were licensed through an iLock and there was a little iLock on the inside of the, of the machine. So you can keep it secure on that port. In the machine. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you, and you don't have to look at the dongle 24 7. Yeah. Well, also the thing, those ports on the back are precious and you have other stuff you want to use them for too. Right. So yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that was a fun I just, little. I just little. had a flashback to college of Cork Express dongles and they, <laughs> the school would loop the security lock like through the dongle. So yeah. no one just walked off with it. Again, a problem solved. Or, or even the logic dongle. I used to have a logic oh, dongle yeah. too years ago. But the, um, you know, so now you guys have on the, on the upper end, you've got the iMac Pro, you've got the Mac Pro. A lot of folks are going to ask themselves, you know, where is the dividing line? How do you see... The difference between an iMac Pro user and a Mac Pro user? You know, I, I find our Pro customers are very self-selective there. They can kind of evaluate the options. iMac Pro is an amazing machine, super proud of, of that system. To be able to take a, a whole workstation and put it behind the amazing 5K display. Um, so, you know, at that price point, you get an amazing 5K display. Super proud of the display that we, that we build in our iMacs. Um, and then put a whole workstation behind it. So up to 18 cores. We, we've now updated the, the system um, a few months ago to put 256 gigabytes of RAM in the system. Um, um, you know, a Radeon Vega Pro a single GPU with up to 16 gigabytes of memory. Very, very powerful, very capable system. And we, we definitely have had rave reviews from our customers about the performance that was delivered and how they're able to use it for the workflow. Um, but even when we introduced that machine, we were very clear, like we know this doesn't solve everyone's needs. Like sure. we, have, we have no illusion that this is the be all end all. And we continue to, to remind people, yes, we are still working on, on a Mac pro um, and Mac pro does everything. iMac pro does and takes it even further. Right. So if one GPU is not enough, we can give you up to four. Um, if 256 gig of RAM is not, not enough, we can, we can go to a terabyte and a half. <laughs> um, 18 cores is enough, we can go to 28. So it takes everything and goes even further. 
And I think it really delivers on the other important thing, which is that configurability over time. So yeah, like those you know, custom solutions yeah. are really impressive. Yeah. And so, and, and then, and then things like afterburner, which, you know, we can't bring time at pro. So, um, be able to do that. Well, it's been a while since Apple's made a display, um, you know, and, uh, now you've got one, the pro display XDR. Yeah. So you were doing, working on that at the same time you were building this macro. Yeah, our, our teams um, have been, been working on that for a while. Um, um, my colleague, Colleen, who you saw on stage, uh, has been managing that, that product, and we're super excited. They're uh, amazing together, and that, that display is um, absolutely stunning. Um, I would like to clarify, though, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. We haven't built a standalone display in, in quite a while since our Thunderbolt display, um, but as a company, almost every product we ship has sure. an dis- amazing display on it. Um, and it's just a reminder that, you know, display technology is an area of, of innovation throughout the company. And we have an amazing engineering team um, that, you know, from the watch to the iPhone to the iPad up through our entire Mac line, building amazing displays. And so it was really great to let that team kind of go all out and build, you know, as we said on stage, the world's best pro display and, and put all the technology and know-how into something that we think is going to just knock it out of the park for our pro customers. One of the demos they had. Um, in the demo section was they had a photography shoot and yeah. they had a one of the new displays turned on its portrait mode and you could look at the model because it was a live shot. Yeah, and I've I'll tell you I've never been really appreciated of really high quality displays, mm-hmm. but when you see this display next to the live shot, it looks like you're looking through a pane of glass at this person. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, the the the, the color fidelity, the brightness, the, the amazing contrast, the black blacks and the highlights um, is, is absolutely amazing. And, you know, like I said, just to be able to deliver, you know, all the, the best technology that we're able to deliver and a tremendous amount of display innovation behind that display is great. You know, it's our uh, 6K resolution, true 10-bit display. It's our first end-to-end 10-bit display um, and uh, uh, an amazing backlight system for uh, brightness and high dynamic range. With the Mac Pro, we're talking about sort of real-world solutions that this provides. What are some things on the, on the display side that this kind of unlocks for the first time for a Mac user? Kind of one of the big concepts um, was to be able to put a display that meets an incredible rich list of, of features um, that very few, if any, displays in the world can meet, right? Um, a lot of the comparisons in the keynote made references to reference displays. These are displays that can be twenty-five to almost fifty thousand dollars, depending on what you look at. Um, amazing displays, but really focused on very specific, narrow things. Um, these are often the displays you'll see at the very end of a production pipeline, maybe in a color grading room, as an as example. Um, and that's great. But what about everyone else who's working on that workflow? And um, we heard loud and clear from customers that there, you know, there's a lot, of, um, a lot of workflow issues because not everyone's looking at the same high-quality images. So you know, I produce some content, I hand it off to you, and by the time it's at the end of the pipeline, um, it look, might look different on that high-quality display. And so why can't everyone be looking at the same high-quality displays? If I'm an editor in an edit bay making shot decisions, I'd like to see the fullest extent of the high-quality image uh, I'm not there to color grade it, but I'd like to be able to see the full dynamic range of the shot and make sure I'm picking the best shot for all the right reasons. Um, and so to be able to bring um, this amazing display across the workflow 
um, is a really exciting thing. It also, I think, is going to open up new capabilities. You know, when I talk about HDR and a photography workflow, you're almost always talking about frame blending, right? Exposure blendings and compositing images to get a higher dynamic range of your image. Um, But we're also really excited to bring high dynamic range in the same way high dynamic range in video with with backlight brightness and, and, and things can, what that could bring to new workflows. And so when we talk about a display that can maintain a thousand nits indefinitely, um, you know, very few displays, uh, if any, can do that, right? Um, some of these high-end displays um, will have to dim because of thermal properties. And so to be able to park yourself on an image, whether you're a, a, a video editor or a photographer, and be able to perfect an image might take you hours. And to be able to see that in its full brightness uh, is, is absolutely amazing and not worry about the imaging going out of uh, reference mode, getting dim, and um, having to come back to it. So um, we think it's really exciting to be able to bring this across the workflow and and perhaps uh, change some workflows as a result of this. Well, I, I think you guys did a great job with this new Mac Pro. Uh, as a Mac user, um, I love the fact that Apple now has all the line covered. You know, you can get down to the most basic, you know, Mac Mini all the way to yeah. something that you could score the next Star Wars movie with yeah. on one machine. You just <laughs> had to bring it in, didn't you? I, I, I'm sorry, guys. Star Wars shows up. Just just happens. It does. I don't know. I don't hey, know. we're all counting the days, so... Uh. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations on the launch of this, which I know must have been a lot of long hours and a lot of people working on making this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're very lucky to have a tremendous team in all areas throughout the company executing on this and um, been working very hard on it, but we uh, can't wait to to get it in the hands of our customers. We think it's phenomenal machine and um, going to really make a big impact for our, our pro customers. Well, thanks for spending some time with us today. Thank you. Who boy, we did it. It was a fun day. It yeah. really was. Yeah. So we have left the pristine podcast arrangements that Apple had set up for us at WWDC. Now we're sharing a bedroom. We are in a, a spare bedroom in my Airbnb. It's increasingly warm. Yes. We're very close. But we have a show to do. We have a lot of stuff to talk about. And man, what what a f- crazy week. Lots of Mac Pro news. Obviously, we just heard a lot about that. Big iPad release, iPad OS, your folder button has made an appearance. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, we're going to talk about our experience. The first time we've been to a keynote. We attended the keynote together on yesterday. And we're going to talk about what's very worryingly labeled in the document, Stephen's future. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about, Stephen. That worries me. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by our friends over at 1Password. Just think about all the things that you log into in just a regular week. You've got social media and photo sharing sites, but then you have things like the bank or maybe stuff at work. Passwords really are just part of our lives these days, and we don't have to be slowed down by them. We don't have to be insecure because they're they're too complicated or too hard. 1Password comes in and solves those things. You can use 1Password to create strong, unique passwords. And the best part is you don't actually have to remember them all individually. They're all stored, safely encrypted within 1Password, accessible on all of your devices. So if you're at home, you're in the office, you're in a spare bedroom of an Airbnb, you can log into everything you need to. With 1Password for families, you can share login information with the important people in your life 
And with 1Password for Teams, you can create 1Password vaults for different groups of coworkers managing access to critical information with fine-grained control. And of course, 1Password works across a wide range of browsers and devices. On the desktop, a simple shortcut of command backslash opens 1Password right in the browser with the correct login selected and ready to be filled. AgileBit stays on top of the newest features, meaning 1Password on iOS, for example, uses Face ID to let you quickly unlock your vault and integrates with autofill passwords, a feature that I really love. Staying secure shouldn't slow you down. 1Password really believes that. You can store much more than just passwords in 1Password. Uh, you can create secure notes. So you can have information maybe about uh, your kids' shot records or you know information about a banking account or anything you need to store safe from prying eyes. You can store safely in 1Password. Head on over to onepasswordcom MPU to learn more and to sign up for a free 30-day trial. You get 30 days to try it out. And when you sign up, because I'm sure you will, You'll get 20% off. Once again, that's onepassword.com slash MPU. So, Stephen, we jumped straight into the Mac Pro with Doug, and I thought we should talk a little bit about it from our own observations being on the ground. Uh, one of the nice things they have set up here is a big room with a bunch of workstations of Mac Pros, and it's demonstrating uh, these fancy new Mac Pros being used in a lot of contexts. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, I as I admitted, I actually, as I said that during the interview, I was thinking, oh man, I'm never going to get asked back. But the, uh, <laughs> you moved in there. I, I moved in basically because <laughs> they had, not only did they have, you know, the sexy photo locations where they had, you know, the, the Mac Pro not only fully clothed, but partly unclothed. This is a family friendly show. Dude. Yeah. Well, anyway, they had them there and perfect lighting for everybody to shoot their videos, but they had these segments where they had a video editing bay. In fact, I'm going to put some pictures in the show notes or I'll link, I'll get it up on Max, right? Somehow there will be a link to, to photos to the show, but they had this editing bay and it looked like the Starship Enterprise. I mean, you could control panels, jog wheels. Yeah. It was crazy. Incredible. And the guy was live editing. 8k video and color correcting on this one machine but and the the story that went through it out and it was all these a lot of these guys that they talked about in the interview these pros that had been hired um the a couple that really stood out to me um i've talked to music professionals that's an area of particular interest to me of course and mr saxophone yeah you know the um (laughs) is that a duck outside what was that yeah i don't know i think i was just thinking (laughs) oh man i just created a new 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 ringtone for Steven, but the, uh, so they had these station, my head is spinning. Anyway, uh, they had, I have talked to pros that had this problem where they've got the horn machine and they've got the strings machine. Right. And the problem that they face is accurate, you know, um, reproduction of these acoustic instruments requires massive compute power and files. Right. It's extremely complex, especially when you're, especially when you're adding things like filters and EQs on top of all of that stuff, yeah. you can just burn a computer to the ground. Exactly. Which is weird. Cause you think, you know, musicians, how are musicians going to overuse a computer? But they, they do. And the, um, and so they had the station up there. They had the score for the new, how to train your dragon movie up. And I guess he, the guy who worked on it worked with Apple or something, but they had the full score in there and they were live changing, editing, moving, all of these instruments, dialogue tracks, the whole thing. And it's smooth as butter. Smooth as butter on one machine, you know. Another one was, as I mentioned in the interview, the Toy Story 4. You know, because Toy Story 4 is a movie set. And I should have written down the number. I forget. It's something like 40 
I think it, I think it was 41.7 billion triangles. It was drawing yeah, some, some astronomical number. It, that- I, I remember it was almost 42. Yeah. You know, that, that's how <laughs> I remember it, but it's like the entire movie set. He was inside like one of the sets of the movie, which is in one of the stores. He says, but we could zoom out to the whole store. Then he zooms out to like the strip mall. Then he yeah. zooms out to like the little carnival thing. He zooms out to like the whole city. Amazing. Yeah. And, and he's like, it's on one computer, which is crazy. So it's just like, that was the, common story throughout of it. And, you know, when we ask the question, who's this Mac pro for, it's for the people that need to do that kind of stuff. Absolutely. This is a machine that is aimed at the most high end of professional users. I mean, I've been thinking a lot about this in the context of like podcasting, of course, and I've got an iMac pro, you have an iMac pro. They serve us very well. A Mac pro is for people doing far beyond even what we're doing with our computers. It, it really is a, even though it's a general tool, like we spoke about how you can configure them in all different ways and change out parts over time. That's true, but it's within like a, a slice of the market that's very specialized. And I think what Doug said was so interesting about how Apple's professional Mac customers sort themselves out. They kind of know, and iMac Pro is not enough for me. I need more. Well, now there's an answer to that question for those users, but it's not for everybody in no way. Definitely not. I, I kind of like to equate it to what they've done on the iPad. I feel like the iPad line is one of the best lines Apple has because they've got the very introductory to the very advanced, and you can spend a lot or a little money. They've kind of done that now with the Mac, and uh, I think it's great. Uh, The other thing I really like about it is just in general, the story that it tells about the Mac Pro in terms of being flexible. I know that came out in the review. I tried to make that point, but, you know, with the original, with the last generation Mac Pro, it was very good video, but you know I'm not sure you could have scored How to Train Your Dragon on that right. computer because it didn't have the the CPU and the RAM and the cooling to to manage that. The, you know, a, a computer, David, is like the human body. Um, I'm already in trouble with this well, I like analogy. This. Let's go. You know, Let's see how far we can go with say this. Say that all you do is push-ups. Well, your arms are gonna and chest are gonna be great, but you're not gonna be able to run up a flight of stairs because your legs are just spaghetti noodles, right? Yeah. That was kind of like the old Mac Pro. It was very good at very specific tasks. And what they've done this time is they've built a really well-rounded athlete of a machine. See, I I brought it back around. Where you can really make it be what you need it to be and and have flexibility for the future. And that's so key when you talk about computers like this in this realm. A production house or a video set or something like this. They these this is an investment for these companies and these people. Yeah. And being able to keep the machine not for ten years necessarily, but for many years keeping it relevant. Or if your needs change and all of a sudden you need more RAM or you need to add the afterburner card, you kind of get a whole new machine again. Yeah. And that's something that just has been missing from the Mac lineup for a while now. And they've really returned the Mac Pro to form in my mind. When I bought the iMac Pro, the question in my mind, because the way I use an iMac, I push it to its limit. Right. Uh, an iMac Pro, I do not push to its limit. And so I want I, the question is, do I want something where I'm at the low end of the usage on the device or at the high end? Totally. Made sense for me to be at the low end. I think there's a group of people for which the iMac Pro is at the is is at the high end. It, they're pushing yeah, it. They're, to its they're, they're killing it. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that's not necessarily my workflow or your workflow or maybe even a lot of our listeners' workflows. But there are people out there. There's a market out there that Apple needs to service. And this is who that machine is for. And I think that they've done a really uh, an interesting job of telling that story. And the iMac Pro, we're talking to our friend Austin Evans earlier, the iMac Pro is kind of the first part of that story where now I get the sense that the iMac Pro 
really has a place in the lineup. I was, I was a little worried it's going to be overshadowed by the Mac Pro, but I think there's a clear difference between the two. Yeah. And and like he said, you kind of know which one fits your needs if you're in this arena. Look, there are a lot of people who even a 5K iMac is overkill or too, or too pricey because they are expensive machines. Yeah. Where a Mac Mini or a MacBook you know, Air or something is going to meet their needs. But Apple is just expanding the Mac's footprint and, and kind of reaching as many people as it can. It's just like a line of cars, right? I mean, you know, Ford makes a bunch of different types of trucks, and maybe I need the Ranger or an F-150, but somebody needs that F-350 Super Duty. I'm from Tennessee. Hi, nice to meet you. Someone needs that huge truck with the big diesel they can pull a fifth wheel with. Not everybody does, but now Apple has that range again, and that is really exciting to me. And I think the choices, and I'm sure I've seen it in the forums already. Some folks are upset. They're like, hey, I'm an enthusiast. I want the biggest and baddest, and this is too much for me. And I feel like if I was in Apple shoes, the question they have is, do we make a machine that's, you know, modular and slightly better than the iMac Pro uh, for that an enthusiast, that fits in the enthusiast crowd? Or do we make the killer machine that the pros that, that you know, that are editing Star Wars sure. need? See, right. See, and, I did that. And, had, and they had they done the first of those, those other users would still be stranded. Right, yeah. they would still have a machine that doesn't meet their needs. Yeah, and you know, I think uh, Matt Panzerino said this on Twitter the other night, and I agree with him. I still think there's room, kind of in between the iMac Pro and the Mac Pro. There's definitely room for another uh, display somewhere, which we'll get to in a second. But they they've just met a, a certain market, and a lot of us aren't in that market, and it's easy to sort of look at it and be upset about that. But I think it's important for the Mac as a platform to be in as many markets as possible, and and look, the, the Mac strong suit has always been creative work, right? Like if you think about just over time, desktop publishing and video animation, all these things, that's always been the Mac's sort of heart and soul. And I get that vibe from this machine and what they're doing this year of like, yes, we are here. We still care about this deeply. And, here, and here's our proof. You know, we built a crazy yeah. machine if you're at the high end of this. I mean, a couple of years ago, the narrative really was that Apple was pulling out of the high end business. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and that's no longer the case. Absolutely. (laughs) I think Apple finally put the nail in the coffin of the argument that they don't care about the high-end user. They don't care about the Mac. This machine, to me, just ends that conversation. Uh, The iMac Pro really just about ended it for me because the iMac Pro is so good. But this was like the final straw for that argument. Apple does care. They're here to make a difference in your workflow. If it meets your needs. All right, Steven, now we need to talk about your future. Oh, no. So we just got done explaining that you could make Star Wars with one of these computers. That's basically what I'm doing on my YouTube channel. Have you seen it? Yeah. So do you, <laughs> is one of these in your future? So, And let me just yeah. say, we're at your Airbnb. Your wife is out of town and not listening. That's right. Uh, she's at WWC with me, but she's hiking today, so yes. she's not she's not lurking in the hallway. Yeah, so we're safe. I don't think she told me she's hiking. Maybe she is hiding. <laughs> uh, so Steven's I'm, looking around the room for bugs right yeah, now. Yeah, just so, you know, just checking the lampshade. I've thought a lot about this because going into this event, I was really hoping that at least the entry level Mac Pro would be something that I could use for a long time, upgrade over time. They answered all those questions for me. Uh, so it's going to come down to once we see. When you spec it up, you know how much you're going to spend. Because look, the 256 gig internal SSD is just not enough for me. I need at least a terabyte on my production machine, and I don't know this for sure. So we're we're sort of in the WWC bubble. Yeah. So like, there are things out there that we haven't read yet. But in looking at the specs, the baseline Mac Pro GPU is not as good as the GPU in my iMac Pro. 
And I do do a, a fair amount of 4K video rendering that does happen on the GPU. So I'm afraid that to spec the Mac Pro where I would need it, it would just be way out of reach financially. I would like to own one, but I don't. I can't say sitting here today that that's going to be under my desk at the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I'm sure it would improve things, but it would be expensive. Yeah, I have no interest in it. I, you know, I the iMac Pro was. There's a good argument to be made. I didn't need the iMac Pro, but mm-hmm. the um. But, you know, just looking at the high-end uses of this stuff. I, I do have to say, you know, that everybody keeps using this term pro user. I feel like there's a lot of pro users that don't need an iMac Pro. Oh, yeah, you know? absolutely. That's a very, that's a very broad term. Or a Mac Pro, I guess. Um, but, the, uh, but at the same time, I, uh, I really appreciate that, you know, Apple has definitely planted its flag and said, no, we are still here for pro users. And the people who make some of the, the biggest and baddest stuff can do yeah. it on a Mac. Yeah, absolutely. And and honestly, the iMac Pro, I've been so happy with it. I know you have too with yours. It's It really fits my needs really well. So I'm going to look long and hard at it, but I would say that it's it's not extremely certain that, that I'll do that. And, and part of that is, to shift gears a little bit, part of that is the display. Uh, I, like John Syracuse, would want the whole package. And that display is is beyond what I what I need to do. Because again, if you think about who Apple's building this for, if you're talking about like video production work chain stuff where you're spending that money on that reference monitor, I don't have those needs. Yeah. That monitor is extreme overkill for me. Uh, I do wish that they had something you know more affordable that didn't have all those features, but they don't. So where we are today, and uh, and that display is not in my future. Maybe in like 30 years when I can pick one up for the collection. Yeah. But until then, there's not going to be that display on my desk, and uh, that does make me wonder what I would hook the Mac Pro up to. There's lots of good options out there. But, you know, could I live as a Mac Power Users co-host with an Asus monitor? Like, Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I, could I'll I sleep you. at night knowing that's in my studio waiting for me every morning? <laughs> I um, When I was walking around the, the Mac Pro demo hall, they had these monitors on every station. And they looked like my monitor to me. They didn't look that different. And I was having trouble computing, why is this so expensive? And let me just say, I'm not a monitor guy. I don't right. keep up with this stuff. And then, as I said in the interview with Doug, when I got to the photo station and I saw it, you know, used appropriately, yeah. and I had a live sample next to, yep. I have my my monitor is never close to look that good. But mm-hmm. I feel like Apple has kind of they're a victim of their own success because the monitors in the iMac are amazing. Like I bought a second monitor to put on the side of my iMac. Right. I bought four of them. And I, I shipped, I kept, you know, Amazon, I just kept shipping them back because I couldn't get one that was even close. And finally I said, well, this is the best of a bunch of junk. And right. that's the one I ended up using. Yeah. And so, so I think for a lot of us, it's like, well, we can't buy an iMac looking monitor. There's, you can't go to Dell and get one of those. Right. Yeah. That, that panel is so good. And they do a lot of color work and stuff on the on the 5K monitors. I, like I said, I wish they put that panel in a standalone external display. Maybe they will yeah. one day. Yeah. I think that maybe there's enough um, people who would want that, that, that it could be a product for them in the future. But for now, it's not. And I don't necessarily think that Apple views the Mac Pro and the Pro Display XDR as a package. I exactly. Mean, I mean, yes, if you're making the next Star Wars, you're going to buy them together. Yeah. But I do think a lot of these things are going to end up hooked up to other displays. You can put them in a rack. So our friends at Mac Stadium, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, are going to put a bunch of them in like it's a very flexible machine and i just don't necessarily think that 
it's the default to buy them together. It, that used to be the case. You know, they would change, you know, the case of the computer and then they change the enclosure to match it. Yeah. Um, surely Apple would like you to buy both of them, but I don't think it's an, an, a necessity. And I think that since it's so expensive and the accessories are, are, are shockingly expensive, I think there are going to be a lot of people who end up with a Mac Pro, you know, maybe with like an, an LG ultra wide yeah. 4K or something. And that's totally fine. Well, like the music scoring guy. He doesn't need color correction. He doesn't need 10 bit P3 color to, you know, yeah. score a movie in logic. No way. And honestly, a lot of enthusiast users who really want the Mac Pro don't necessarily need the Mac Pro screen. I, I think you need to separate that in your brain. If I do that's too. That's something you're thinking about. I do too. But either way, I, I'm just super happy that Apple has made their statement and they've really, you know, it's not just the old cheese grater in a similar box. I mean, they have given a lot of thought to custom solutions to custom problems, which they've never done before in my knowledge, you know, and, uh, and I don't think this is the end of the story. So I'm really curious to see where it all goes. It's a very exciting time to be a Mac nerd. It yeah. really is. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by the Omni Group, makers of some of the best productivity software for the Mac, iPad, and iPhone, like my beloved OmniFocus, Omni Outliner, Omni Graffle. I use their applications all the time. Being on the ground here at WWDC, I've already seen several Omni folks moving around. And that's one of the things I just love about the Omni Group is they are super into making their software the most modern, taking care and use of the best tools possible. I know that whenever there's a keynote, the whole Omni Group assembles around the the screen back of the office, the ones that aren't here on the ground, and they immediately get to the labs. And before you know it, we're going to have a bunch of new features in all our Omni applications that feature all the cool stuff that Apple's been announcing here. And that's what I want from my productivity software. I don't want somebody that's going to ship it and forget about it. And that's not what you get with the Omni Group. It's constantly updated and constantly has the latest and greatest. Uh, one of the things I've been using a lot lately is Omni Outliner. I've got a couple projects I'm working on with clients. And that Omni Outline format with that beautiful formatting, it just works great sending those back and forth. Um, but, you know, whatever itch you need to scratch with your productivity, head over to the omnigroup.com and check it out. They've got free downloadable trials for all their software. They've got free downloadable trials for all their software. They manage syncing. It's just a, you know, great solution for all your productivity needs. And like I said, it works on the Mac, iPad, and iPhone. It is literally my favorite software developer for the Mac because they just, don't leave any stone unturned. So anyway, head over to the Omni Group. Let them know you heard about it here on the Mac Power Users and check out their software today. So the keynote was just chock full of stuff. It's so many things. We have a lot of things to talk about in the future. But I thought maybe we could hit some highlights uh, from both the Mac and then uh, later the iPad of things that jumped out at us, things that we like, things that we're excited about. So you, you, are from, you are from here. California is your place. Yes. Tell me about the name. Catalina is an island off Southern California. I actually engineer a bunch of my hikes so I can see Catalina. Nice. It's beautiful. There's great scuba out there. There's great fishing. It's a, kind of a watering hole a lot of people go to. If you've got your own boat, you go out there for the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a place that I can see on my hikes, which makes me super happy because most of the locations have been far away from Southern California so right. far. I, I feel like this is a trend. I, I hope that next year it is Mac OS David's house. Mm. I think that would be cool. 
I'm not sure it rolls off the tongue. Uh, but that would make me happy. Sure. Does that matter? <laughs> no, I, it's great and easy to pronounce, and the picture is pretty. It's a very small island, frankly. We don't have a lot of islands in California, but right. this is the one that everybody goes and visits. I think it's a great name. Yeah. The uh, There's a lot to cover here. Um, you know, going into this event, you and I were talking, and I think one of the big questions, the big overarching questions for us was what is the future of the Mac? I felt like this was a very much of a turning point today or this week. Like we knew that the um, Catalyst, which used to be called Marzipan, uh, this project where they were going to make it easy to port uh, iPad software over to the Mac, that we're going to get a lot more details on that. And just in general, you know, we're going to learn about these Mac Pros. You know, is Apple fully invested in the Mac? One of the common narratives these days is that they don't care about the Mac anymore. Well, I uh, I feel like they answered the question this year. Absolutely. Uh, both in hardware, like we've been talking about uh, all day, but also in software. You don't do all this work to bring iPad apps to the Mac if the Mac's going to go away. You don't do things like SwiftUI, which we'll talk about in a second, if the Mac is going to go away. You know, in, Mo- in Mojave, we saw the beginnings of what would be Catalyst, but we knew it as Marzipan then. So I'm, I'm going to get the names mixed up all the time. But those apps weren't necessarily super stellar. They didn't have multiple Windows support. They acted strangely. And it seems like from early reports uh, from people like Stephen Trout-Smith and others who have spent time with these apps, Apple's gone the rest of the way to make these apps feel at home on the Mac. If you look at the screenshots of uh, Apple Music, Podcasts, and TV, Podcast is built with Catalyst, this new system, and the others are sort of standard AppKit Mac apps. And you can't tell them by looking at them. And he says you can't tell by using them. They, they act and feel like Mac apps all the way through. And I'm sure there would be rough edges here and there, but I think Apple's done a pretty good job at, for, from the end user perspective to make that a good experience. And it seems like on the developer end, they're doing a lot of things uh, so iPad and iOS developers can come to the Mac, even though they may have never developed for the Mac before, making it as easy as possible for them to make the switch. Yeah, I mean, the Mac is certainly evolving, uh, but you know, I'm just thinking about all the R and D money that must have went into that Mac Pro versus the relatively small number of customers it has. Sure, you know, the same thing when you compare iOS to the Mac and now iPad OS. Um, it's a very smaller, much smaller number of customers, but a tremendous amount of engineering resources went into making it so they can send those apps over. And, you know, the power behind this thing, I mean, if people are making these multi-thousand dollar Macs, people need software to run on it to make great things. Mm-hmm. So I, I just, I feel a lot better about the future of the Mac. I, I do think we are going to be seeing evolution over the coming years. And I don't know what that means at the end of the day, but for the time being, I feel like, you know, the Mac is still a thing. Part of that, too, is is not only bringing new things to the Mac, but cleaning up what's there. So they've done the 64-bit transition this year. So 32-bit apps, if you have any of those on Mojave, you know, they, they give you a warning. Um, that stuff's all gone. So when looking to upgrade to Catalina, it's worth doing an inventory of your software to see, make sure everything will run. I think we're gonna do, we'll are gonna do we do an episode kind of preparing for Catalina, preparing for iOS 13 yeah, definitely. later in the fall. Uh, so there are some things to take you know into consideration this time around. When you make the move, you will end up with a cleaner, leaner Mac OS, and some you know things like iTunes being replaced by these these new programs. So uh, Apple Music, you know, in iTunes at least is it, it's a little bit rough, you know, to to work with Apple Music inside iTunes. It's not the most uh, fluid experience, and the new music app 
is really kind of been built for Apple Music and your local library to be on on the same level playing field. And you have things like smart playlists and all the the sort of power iTunes stuff is still there. It's not just the iPad Music app like some of us were a little nervous about. And that's good. You know, music is a huge part of of the Mac experience because iTunes has been around for so long. Another big announcement was the Swift UI, and this is the nerdy programmer part of the show. Yeah. So, and they did this at the end, but I feel like this is one of those things that has a lot of real big long-term ramifications. Mm-hmm. So traditionally, the user interface elements for Mac apps is completely different than the uh, building them for uh, iPad and iPhone. Right. Know? One is 20 years newer than the other. So yeah. you know, the, <laughs> yeah. the stuff you're making for iOS is easier to make. That's why there's so many developers yeah, yeah. on iOS. And, and for those who – we won't necessarily use these terms, but you'll hear these terms – AppKit is what is on was on the Mac, and it came from like the next days. And then you had UIKit, which came with the iPhone and later the iPad. So you had these not really competing, but different ways, different frameworks of building applications. And you know, speaking to our developer friends, it wasn't necessarily easy to work in both. You, some things would translate, and others wouldn't. And there was a lot of I think duplication of effort if you were writing a Mac app and an iOS app in the old world. Yeah, and this is used for a lot of things, but primarily for a lot of the user interface. Like if you want to press an OK button right. or if you want to put text on the screen. And and it could be pretty tedious because computers, right? Um, yes. <laughs> so this year they announced this thing called Swift UI. And the idea is it's a unified structure to build those those user interfaces and and. Uh, programming components. And then at the end you push a button, like I want to put this on a Mac, I want to put it on an iPad or I want to put it on a Mac or an, or an iPhone. And it allows these, the uh, app developers to save a tremendous amount of work because they do it once and it goes everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it also shows, but it, at the same time, it gives you unique tools for unique platforms. Like on the phone, you're going to have the ability to use touch and on the Mac, you're going to have the ability to use the mouse. Right. And it's just a way to make that job far simpler. So we would hope that going forward, some of our favorite apps uh, make it to all platforms. Absolutely. And SwiftUI even goes further and also helps on the watch and the TV platforms as well. And this is going to be one of those projects for developers. This is not an overnight thing. This is going to be something where developers and app makers work on this over time. It will improve over time as Apple works as well. And it, it feels like the beginning of an era where we're going to see developers be able to work cross-platform in Apple's ecosystem uh, much more cleanly. You know, I'm not a developer, but I can tell from the examples they've shown, it's like, oh, that's a lot less code and it's a lot more powerful. And it it, it is the next chapter in the story they started, I think, four or five years ago with Swift replacing Objective-C, the programming language. Apple takes the work that developers do very seriously and it wants to make that work as easy as possible. You know, developing is always going to be a complex job, but where Apple can remove friction, they're going to do that. And speaking with developers here this week, you know, I ran uh, to the guys who make Castro, the podcast app, and he's like, I want to rewrite everything in Swift UI right now. I was like, but yeah. I probably, you know, I'm going to be told no. You know, like, yeah. and he's really pumped up. And, and so it feels like people are excited, developers are excited about it. And as end users, the benefit I think we will see is that we'll see more of our favorite apps on more of Apple's platforms yeah. and, and, and more uh, things like feature parity across platforms when they can just write the UI and, and write the, their app in sort of one 
way, push in one direction as opposed to splintering off for all the different yeah, platforms. You're going to see more consistent user interface through multiple platforms. I think it's a good thing for users, but it's also a massive, I, I can't imagine how much work it was putting this together. Um, yeah. Because this is a new thing. I mean, this is this, in essence, the successor of what they did for the iPhone. Mm-hmm. And uh, Daniel Jalkett, Red Sweater Software, former guest on MPU, I bumped into him. He's like, you realize this is an enti- basically an entirely new platform. Yeah. You know, but it's a platform to absorb all platforms. Yeah. yeah. You know, there, there's there been concern, and Apple addressed it last year, you know, the Mac and iOS merging. And they're not. But I think what they are doing is they're creating a layer on top of it all that will unify things. And the Mac will still have its strengths. The iOS and now iPadOS, which we'll talk about, they will still have their strengths. But if you're a developer and you're looking at, I want to develop, develop for the Apple platform, until this came along, you, each new platform came with serious overhead, and that will be lessened by this project. And um, you know, people sometimes forget the D in WBDC stands for developers. It's a developer conference, and that seems to be, you know, it's easy to talk about the Mac Pro and other stuff, but the development news here this week is huge as well. Yeah, huge is the right word. Um, there's so much more going on, on the Mac. New reminders app, notes improvements, screen time on the Mac. It's great. Um, it looks like substantially better dictation, which I think explains why Nuance has abandoned the Mac. Yeah, yeah, and it seems like Apple's uh, voice stuff all over the place is better this year. So Siri has a new voice that's better. Dictation looks better. They also are bringing voice control to Mac and iOS yeah. uh, as an accessibility feature. So you can say things like, Scroll up, open photos, quit mail, these sort of common tasks you can just do with your voice now through accessibility. And man, that just got raving applause in the keynote. Yeah. Apple really leads the way in the industry in a lot of in a lot of areas of accessibility. And I'm glad they put that in the keynote. I'm glad they they focus on that because it's it's so important. Yeah, I'm not loading any betas. The word around town is that the beta ones are not necessarily that stable. Yeah, <laughs> but I am going to get them on when I once I get home and I've got you know an extra machine I can work with. But the uh, I'm really looking forward to trying out the Mac dictation, and we're going to report back on all this stuff as we get more experience with it. But for now, just trust us. There's a lot of good stuff coming. It's it's an again it's an exciting year for Mac users, and an exciting year too. You know, there's always been benefit to to be a multi platform user in the Apple environment. If you if you have an iPhone, it's better if you have a Mac. If you have a Mac, it's better if you have an iPad or an Apple Watch. And uh, Apple's only strengthening that as time goes on. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Bombas. You might not think about your socks all that often. If you're like me, you're a busy person. I got plenty of other things to think and worry about than what I put on my feet. However, let me tell you why you should be thinking about your socks and be thinking about Bombas. I'm a little picky when it comes to socks, picky when it comes to shoes. I just, I've always felt like I want, I know what I want, and it's always been hard to find it. You, my wife will attest to this. I've tried countless sock brands over the years. I order a pack, try them, not like them. Then, like, the kids get sick sock puppets or something because, you know, I'm not going to wear them. Uh, but Bombas, their style, their comfort, and their quality all met what I was looking for. I definitely recommend that you check it out. Simply put, they make the most comfortable socks ever. They're crafted from super soft natural cotton, and every pair comes with arch support, a seamless toe, and cushioned footbed that's comfy without being too thick. It's not like you're walking around in thick hiking socks every day, but you get the comfort like you do. They have so many colors, patterns, links, and styles, so they look great at the gym, great at the office, and great when you're out on the town. 
your feet, they're probably dreaming of Bombas right now. And for every purchase you make, they donate a pair to someone in need. Buy your Bombas today at bombas.com slash MPU and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash MPU for 20% off. Open up in your browser. Your feet will be thankful. That URL one last time is bombas.com slash MPU. So they forked iOS. People have wanted this for a long time. So if you think over the last several years, iOS will make improvements on the iPhone basically every year. And the iPad, every couple of years, it would lurch forward. And people have wanted this to happen. And so we now have iPad OS. It, it, this is not a, a brand new OS. This is, like you said, it's a fork of iOS. So right now, there are some differences. I think over time, the iPad will gain more capability. But what it lets Apple do is it sort of unlocks the iPad from its iPhone past. Yeah. You know, people said when the iPad came out, it was just a big phone. And in hindsight, that wasn't completely wrong. But over time, as the hardware has become more powerful, the screens have gotten better and bigger, we've wanted to do more with it. And it's always been held back by the solution on the iPad has to work on the iPhone. And now that seems to be uh, not the case. They, they're sort of un, unhooked from each other. And we're seeing that this year with some uh, UI improvements on the iPad. Yeah, well, first of all, I just love what the idea of an iPad OS represents. You know, mm-hmm. It now means that when they have keynotes in the future – they have to report on not just what they've changed on the phone. They have the iOS improvement section like they did yesterday. They also have the iP- iPad OS improvement. Yeah, you, you and, can't go two or three years without mentioning yeah, it. <laughs> so I, I think it, it does it does signify that they're recognizing that you know people are using the iPads for increasingly more power user type work mm-hmm. and they need to take care of them. So uh, that's something I've uh, kind of wanted for some time now. And if, you know, I've probably ranted on about this show too many times, but, but it's good because iPad is uh, supremely powerful hardware that it that hasn't historically had the software to keep up with it. Yeah. That's definitely been the case where it feels like this iPad could do so much more if the software would allow it. And, and this year they, they answered that in some really specific ways. So, for instance, on the the home screen, you can now have your widget view basically pinned to the left. You and I got to play with that today on someone who was brave. Is brave the right word? Brave enough to put beta hey, one? You know, brave and crazy often go together. Yeah. Don't install beta one. Don't do it. <laughs> but I, immediately I thought, oh my gosh, it's like Keyboard Maestro where I can have yeah. a palette of all my shortcuts always on my home screen. So I can just yeah. swipe up on the dot, go to the home screen, fire a shortcut. It surfaces that stuff. Uh, all the time. I'm really excited about that. I want things like shortcuts in my to-do list visible basically all the time on my iPad. I'm just, I'm excited that they're finally doing something with the home screen. It's just been the same for so long. And this seems like a really useful and thoughtful addition. Yeah. I, and it, it takes advantage of all the existing widgets that developers have made over the last several years. Yeah. So it, the, they just appeared for me. I didn't have to like wait or be on a test flight or something. They're just like, do you want your widgets on your home screen? Yes, please. Yeah, and the way it works, first of all, they're taking more advantage of the home screen. They've got higher application density. I didn't count the number of ones in a row, but I think it was probably seven or eight. I mean, yeah, it was quite a few. more apps sort of squeezed in yeah. to the home screen. And the nice thing is when you turn it from vertical to horizontal, like historically, it moved your apps because there's a different number That's on the row. That's driven me 
crazy for yeah. years. Well, they fixed that now. Did they? Yeah. Oh, yes. So if you switch it, this is good news. Yeah, vertical or horizontal, it's going to have the same number on the row. So spatially, they'll be in the same spot. All, all hail Craig Federighi. <laughs> and then when you do this thing with the widget screen, where you basically the left maybe one third or twenty five percent of the screen is just a list of your widgets, then it just it keeps the same number of application icons on your desktop, just shrinks them a bit, which is totally fine with these big screens. And it just keeps them there. And you can actually pin it so it's there when you turn it on. And uh, it's a great solution. I've always wanted the ability to throw a switch somewhere and just have when I open my phone or iPad to be on the widget screen. Yeah, have that as sort of the default view. Yeah, so this gives you both. It gives you the apps and the widget screen. That's great. Um, They improve multitasking a bit. What, What they really improved is the ability to switch between multiple slide ins. I think that's the term they use. You know, you have the left app, the right app, and you have the slide yeah, yeah, app. slide over. Slide over. Yeah. And then so you can have a stack of those, and then you can swipe swipe through them. I got to use that, and it was great. Like at one point, we had five slide over apps. So uh, for me, like switching between the billing software mm-hmm. and the, you know, the notes or whatever, I can just quickly – jump between those, which is great. Right. And that's paired with uh, an updated multitasking paradigm. So it's still the same rough elements of before the dock, you can pair apps, but now you can have an app spawn multiple windows. And so the example they showed in the keynote was a really good one. What if I want two notes side by side and then I swipe over and I want Safari and a third note there. And the iPad before basically you built these app pairs up and then you tore them down as your day went on. And now I think there's going to be a lot less of that because you can have notes or Safari or mail or like or, or files or files or your to do app basically kind of follow you around to a bunch of different spaces. And I think that's really going to unlock the iPad for a lot of people who find multitasking in iOS 11 and 12 a little limiting. You know, one of the great things about the Mac is multiple windows per app. And now we have the sort of new thought iOS type version of this on the iPad. I'm really excited. Yeah, me too. I want to get my hands on it more. Uh, one initial bit of somewhat negative feedback I have is that you still have to, if you don't have a keyboard attached and you want to drag an app into multitasking, you still need to have it on the dock. It doesn't look to me like there's a way to grab it from the desktop. Yeah, I wish I wish that the home screen could act as a, a launch pad, I guess, for lack of a better word, yeah. uh, for multitasking. Yeah, but you know, I, I really, like I said, I've only spent limited time with a beta at this point. Then there was one point you know, during the – I can tell you I got to watch the keynote next to Steve. We're going to talk about the keynote experience. But there was a moment where um, they were talking about the Mac Pro. And I looked over at Steven, and he, it reminded me of when I first brought my daughter to the American Girl store. Oh, you yeah. just had that that <laughs> look on your face, this, this empty – the smile and the eyes yeah. were wide open. But I feel like when files went on the screen during the iPad OS – I nearly leaned out of my seat. I caught myself like leaning into the guy yeah. in front of me. Yeah, I saw you lean forward. It's like, oh, he's really excited and keeping a close eye on what happens. I wanted to see every little bit of that user interface during that keynote. Yeah, so they added uh, several things. They added a new new column view. So it's like the view I use in Finder. So you can see some spatial awareness of where you are. It also surfaces things like metadata and file information. Again, just like Finder. So if you have an image in files... It can tell you just right there how large that image is, something that before was hidden or not super uh, obvious. Well, it's more than that on images. I, I got to spend time with that as well in the preview center. The um, 
the you get the full stack of photos metadata. I mean, if you look into the details, you don't get to search by it like you do it like on the Mac. You can say we talked about this on the Finder show a month or two ago. You can say search for this Sony lens, and it would right. search so by it's, it. It's not doing all that, but it's a, a big step forward. It gives you the data, and okay. and they um and there's multiple search criteria. Before it was just I believe date and and file size, I think, but now it's like five different criteria you okay. can search by. It's 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 quite a bit more powerful, and you know the ultimate question. You know, everybody has their white whale. Mine is when someone sends me an email attachment, and I hit the save dialog. I want to create a folder. And this morning we were looking at the beta, and guess what? Your button's there. My button is there. I'm going to so call it good. the Sparky button. I like that. The Sparky Spark- Sparky button is there. Yeah, yeah. They've they've kind of ironed off a lot of the the rough edges and files. Another big big one for a lot of people was USB device you know, mass storage management. So you could plug in a jump drive or USB hard drive. And before the iPad would just sort of blink at you and know what was happening. Now those show up as a file provider in files and you can move things on and off of them. And you can actually say, so a common workflow, I think for a lot of people is they have photos on an SD card. They import them into the iPad, but they will actually want to edit them in something like Lightroom. Yeah. Well, now if when Adobe supports this, you can import from the SD card right into Lightroom and not round trip through your photos library. And if you're like me or you and have iCloud photo library turned on, then you're syncing a bunch of images you don't want there and cleaning up later. And so a lot of those common workflows that people are doing are going to be a whole lot easier. And of course we've all probably been in a situation where you guys, you have a file on your iPad or you need a file on the iPad and you don't have the internet because that was kind of the main way to do it before. And now in those situations where you have physical media, the iPad can play in that world. There was a, a little bit of an Easter egg in the keynote. Did you catch this? Where they, they had the USB drive yeah. plugged into the iPad, and yeah. like the name of the drive was like Relics or something, like old Relics. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. so funny. Yeah, but we can joke about it. But the I mean, look, we recorded at Apple, and they handed us a jump drive with our files on it. Like, yeah, USB keys still kind of make the world go round in a lot yeah. of ways. And now the iPad is is part of that world, and that that's really good. I just feel like in general the files app grew up a lot this week. Absolutely. Uh, I want to get my hands on the beta and really test it and find out. Like I'm still not clear what how much the tagging has improved. But for me, the the huge problem was that folder creation, and that's done. And another huge problem was just organization. Uh, it looked to me like I saw an Apple person use one with multiple instances of the files app. So just like on your Mac, you could have multiple finder windows. Yeah, yeah. You could have two uh, finder files apps open on your iPad and presumably drag and move things in between them, mm-hmm. which would be very useful. It just uh, So hopefully some of the friction points for just getting your basic work done on the iPad are going away right now. That's great. Apple has been on this path now for a while, every year, every couple of years, taking a swing at sort of the most common uh, friction points of the of the iPad. And I really feel like this year they cleared, they sort of cleared the table of things that people were complaining about on a regular basis, making it easier to move your work to it. Not just from a, not just from a files perspective, not just from a multitasking perspective, all the way through, it feels like the iPad is really its own thing now. It always sort of felt like it was in the shadow of the iPhone, at least to me. I feel like that's broken now, and that the iPad is sort of standing on its own two feet. And look, you know, it's nine years into it. I mean, these iPad Pros we have in our hands, looking at our show document, these are amazing computers. Yeah. And it finally feels like they have an operating system to call their own and I, I think the future is really bright for the iPad line. Yeah, the a couple other little points, and like I said, this is another one where we're going to have future content around this. 
Apple Pencil latency went from 20 milliseconds to nine. That doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I can't even imagine how short nine milliseconds is. Well, I can't tell any difference. I mean, I I haven't loaded the beta, but I mean, the 20 milliseconds is amazing. I had no no complaints about this. Exactly. It's like... (laughs) It's like, you know, the thing that's really good, we just put chocolate on it. Yeah. So enjoy it. The other thing they've got, though, is a new feature that looks really useful to me, and it's called full-page markup. And you yes. take the pencil, you drag from the lower left corner. I saw it demonstrated yesterday. And it just takes a screenshot of whatever is on your screen, and you can mark it up with a pencil. It's so great. And if it's on a web page, it's not just the part of the web page that's on the screen. It's the entire length of the web page. That's really cool. Um I have so many uses for this. Like I look at contracts every day, Stephen. I'm going to have so much fun with this. So uh, this is something that wouldn't make sense on a Mac. Makes perfect sense on the iPad, and it's very easy to use, or yeah. looks looks to be very easy to use. So I'm glad that you know maybe the fact that it's an iPad OS gives the enough manpower mm-hmm. for people to start solving these kinds of yeah. problems. And, and those markup tools, you have the pencil and the eraser and that sort of tool palette that's improved this year. But also they've turned that into uh, an API for other developers. So you could have another drawing app or another writing app and just use Apple's built-in pencil tools instead of recreating them. And I think that that will lead to more consistency across apps. You know, we've all come across Apple pencil-enabled apps where the pencil feels and acts noticeably different than Apple's apps. And hopefully this will give developers a way to standardize and I think make the pencil it maybe even more popular than it is now. Uh, across a bunch of different apps. Yeah, agreed. And uh, like I said, there's a lot. We're going to cover some more of this later, but one last one I just have to mention on the iPad is the floating keyboard. Yes. So this is a keyboard that breaks off, and it looks like it's iPhone-sized. Yeah. So you could, like, thumb type with, you know, holding your iPad. With one hand. If the iPad used to have the split keyboard, and I got rid of it on the iPad Pros forever ago. I like that. I miss it. Yeah, but I think this is a great thing, a great, a great solution to this, especially on... Maybe not on a 12.9 because maybe that'd be tricky to type with your thumb. But like on the 11 or smaller, I think this is going to be something I use pretty often. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole bunch more. I mean, I just have a lot of questions. I, I feel yeah. like this is a great move. I'm, I'm optimistic, but I, I want to get my hands on it before I go all in. Yeah, but yeah. It sounds like Safari got a lot more powerful, which was another common complaint. Download manager? Like, yeah. F- really? <laughs> I, Good job. Yeah. Keyboard Maestro Field Guy, I had to recommend a third-party app. I had to tell everybody to download iCab if yeah. they wanted to download videos. Yeah. So that I'm going to fix that video. So There's an important question, though. Are you, are you going to be a dark mode guy on your iPad and iPhone? I don't know. I I never the dark mode really never sunk in for me on Mac, so Same. we'll see. But you know, you have to choose a side. I've always generally been a light side guy. Sure. You know, avoid the dark side. You're a Jedi. But it looks really pretty. We were playing with this. It morning. does look good. I flipped the switch and I was like, "Oh, hi there. <laughs> you look nice." <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll see. It's again. You know, uh, I'm glad that that's there, and I think especially on the iPhone, uh, it's going to be cool to have uh, have that dark mode. We have an OLED screen. You could save a little battery life, but that OLED screen looks so good when things are dark. You know, it's just, I'm excited to see how that gets used. There's basically a new photos. We haven't even mentioned the iPhone. Not at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, iOS itself, which now just runs on the iPhone and iPad, it is, uh, you know, it's dark mode. It's some, some things here and there. But it, it wasn't the dominant player this week, yeah. which is kind of weird. But Apple has so much other stuff to do. It'll get its turn again. Yeah. 
Well, I want to uh, talk about being here and, you know, we had the privilege of, of attending the keynote and doing the interview. We had a, we had a lot to, to share. So I think we should bring the team in on that as well right after this. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by our friends at Hover. I'm so glad to have Hover back. If you've been thinking about building an online identity, you can get started with one simple step, buying a domain. With Hover, you find the domain that shows the world who you are and what you're passionate about. I started buying Hover domains a long time ago. I like the service because they don't try and trick you. You know, It's not like defusing a bomb. You just go in and buy your domain. I've got them for myself. I've got them for my law practice. I bought them for my kids. Uh, whenever I have a friend that's starting a new business, one of the things I've done for several people in my life is I've bought their domain. Yeah. You know? It's just like, hey, it's like, you know, when you do that for somebody, like I have a friend that just started her own law practice after working for the big firm. I sent it to her. I'm like, here's your domain. And you know that that really made her feel that's something. A, that's you a know? good present. It was that's like a, good. It was a feel. You know yeah, what I yeah. mean? And then I got worried, well, what if she does it for 20 years? How far am I in on this, right? You know, but <laughs> at some point, I think I can hand it off to her. But anyway, Hover makes it really easy to do that. So just put it in your bookmark and start buying domains like me. Um, there's some great things about it. There's no upsells and there's a clean user interface. They've got best-in-class customer support. The Hover Connect feature allows you to connect your domain name to many website builders with a few simple clicks. And they've really gone through that. You know, if you, no matter what service you use, they've got a tutorial or somebody will get on the phone and help you figure it out. Um, personalized email that matches your domain and further supports your online identity. All of my email is through Hover, Stephen. That's that's my uh, service provider. Free who is privacy, so bad guys don't get your information. And they have 400 domain name extensions to choose from, which can help you brand yourself online. .com, .io, .coffee, .co. CEO.photography, whatever it is that you want to do, there's probably a domain that would work for you. So uh, if you're new to Hover, you can get 10% off any domain extension for your first year. Just go to hover.com slash MPU. Make that first step toward building your online identity today. That URL, once again, is hover.com slash MPU. Our thanks to Hover for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So this is my sixth WWDC, I think. I started in 2013. I started with the when the Trash Can Mac Pro was announced. That was my first time here. But it was my first time attending the keynote, which was really special. And, and obviously the first time doing something cool like interviewing the guy who built the Mac Pro. Yeah. <laughs> a real highlight. Yeah. But it's such a it's a special trip every year because even though a lot of the community, you know, is that can't make the trip, it is, you know, sort of a, a corner of our community. It's one that I really value, and I get to see people and be a part of things. It's just, it's a fun, a busy trip, but a fun trip every year. Yeah, it goes really fast, and I can tell you, um, you know, the the recognition that Apple gave to Mac Power users, you know, including us in this, felt really good. You know, yeah, I've been making the show a long time, been working in this space a long time, and when that email came in, I was it really made my day. Me too, and. Um, the uh, but also just being around the community here, it's great because when things like Swift UI happen, you and I can talk to people who pay for their shoes writing code and right. getting their their feeds on it. Um, we've picked up numerous future interviews this week for the show. Oh yeah, I've got an here. Apple Note where I just keep adding people's names. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to talk to you this fall. We're going to yeah. come back around. And and Apple people as well. You know the people. I think some a mistake people make about Apple is you think about it because it's a company. You think they've got this unified 
decision that like they're the Borg or something. Right. You know, and they're not there. It's a bunch of people that probably fight like heck over a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And you get that when you get on the ground here and you bump into people. I've heard from numerous uh, Apple employees that listen to the show and come up and they, they, you know, they, I had somebody just the other day say, Hey, you know, I, I worked on the reminders app, the new reminders app and been listening to you guys. And, you know, it's great to know that, that they're listening to the community and trying to make the best possible thing for everyone. And that connection always helps me as well. Well, you can see it in the work this year, things yeah. that we've been talking about. Other people have been talking about. Yeah. I mean, you have a button and files named after you in my head cannon. I do. Well, I think it's, <laughs> it's in my head cannon now too. It honestly could be. I've whined about it so much. Yeah. Somebody probably said, "Well, somebody shut that guy up and just yeah. put that stupid put the, button." Put in. the button there. But yeah. Apple is paying attention to its user base, and not just in the sense of what we talked about earlier with like pro workflow, high end people. Apple pays attention to what people say and how people use their products. It's not always fast to respond. It's a big company with you know multi year plans. But Apple is responsive to its customers, and that's something that I've always really appreciated about the company as a user for a long time is if there's a problem in the community, if there's a problem with uh, a product or a service that affects a lot of their users, they're going to come back around to it, and they're going to do what they can to make it right. And you don't see that everywhere in the in the sort of you know computer electronic industry. You see a lot of companies who have products that, that really struggle, and they never do anything about it. They leave their customers stranded. And Apple cares too much to let that happen. And it, it makes it a lot of fun to be in the ecosystem. Yeah, the other thing that I was reminded of this week, just looking at all the changes and talking to folks, is it's easy to forget that for a lot of us, the reason we got into Apple to begin with is we wanted one vendor that made the hardware and the software. Mm-hmm. And, and that, now the services, they've and, added that and, to and it. And now the back end <laughs> services and all the, and, you know, and the phone and the tablet and the, you know, they, it's so much of the stuff that we see today is only possible because they control the entire widget. And that, oh, yeah. And they seem to be continuing to put the gas on that and just making it better. Yeah, I can't imagine, you know, for instance, using an iPhone without iCloud doing all of its stuff. Yeah. Or something like the Mac Pro and the Afterburner thing with, you know, Final Cut. Like, these things are made to be, to be used together. But what's also really cool about that at the same time is, you know, my iPhone is signed into three Gmail accounts. Yeah. You know, I, I sync things with Chrome. Like, the platforms still allow other vendors to come in, and you can really mix and match what you what you want to use. And there, there are limitations to that. I can't set Chrome as my default browser on iOS or iPadOS yet, at least on the Mac and in like sort of the settings areas. There's a lot of customization and flexibility you can do. You're not locked into the way Apple thinks about everything. And that's important too. Yeah. Well, as always, had a great time this year. It was especially fun this year being able to be in the room with the announcements, seeing the developers lose their mind with some of these announcements. It was great. You know, um, it was great getting to talk to someone at Apple about and learning a bunch about how they make it. I mean, who, who would have thought they'd put a vibration sensor on their new fancy Mac <laughs> just to find out, you know, what happens to it when you pull it off a truck. I mean, I don't know, but I keep smiling when I think about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, to me that, that when you hear things like that, it's like, Oh, so you put that much work into that piece of it. That yeah. makes me trust the whole thing a little bit more. Absolutely. You know? So anyway, it's been a great year and it's been fun, especially, you know, having you here with me this year, Stephen. Yeah. And, and doing uh, a, a 
second of at least three, you know, together MPU episodes. Yeah. Because we'll be back together just next month in MaxDoc. And and hearing from a ton of developers that are MPU listeners and just been a great week. So uh, I hope you all uh, enjoyed the show today. Uh, it was fun for us putting it together. And we're sorry it was delayed a few days, but we hope you uh, you appreciate what we got got to you. Yep. We'll be back on Sunday. We got a fun episode about iOS apps. All right. So I think that's it. Okay, so that does it for today. Thanks to our sponsors, 1Password, Omni, Bombast, and Hover. And we will see you all on Sunday.